0: Well, good morning again if if you'll uh, open your bibles please to the book of Colossians the second chapter I think it's page eight forty four in the chair bibles at least some of them Colossians chapter two we're in a study right now of <clears throat> we called it the whole truth what we 're doing is we're grabbing a Principles of the Christian Life, working through the whole truth, and then talking about how dangerous it can be if somebody just has half of that truth at work in them. So uh, there's going to be four. This is the third of four that we're walking in. And I would uh, uh, maybe entitle this question, what is our role with each other as we grow in the Lord? That's the question we're going to wrestle with today. As you and I grow in the Lord, what role do we have with one another to, to play? And there's going to be a phrase or several words that surface that are really, really important, I think, in this text. It's the, the word is shadow and, and substance. That phrase is going to be there, the shadow and substance. So I, I thought we would start by just thinking about that. I don't want us to pass through that imagery uh, without some real attention so let's talk about a shadow. A shadow uh, is projected off of an object. In other words, if you don't have an object, you don't get a shadow. A shadow is connected faithfully to an object. And usually a shadow gives us some information about the object itself. The shadow itself is nothing. The shadow doesn't amount to anything, you know, you don't typically think of somebody making an object in order to get the shadow. The object is what matters, and the shadow is, is tethered to it and reflects back on it. Um, I'm going to give you a, a short war story just because this is the most terrifying shadow I ever saw. So when I think of shadow, this is the first one that comes to my mind. Um, during in 2003, during when Iraq was being taken, at one point uh, several of us were, were farther up in country, and at one point we had the chance to get back home to Kuwait. And so we thought that would be great. I haven't had a shower in a week. Um, and so we grabbed all of our stuff and we threw it in the back of an airplane called a C 130. Okay, C 130 are the cargo airplanes at Newcastle the big green ones with the propellers, okay? A big airplane, you can drive a vehicle into it, okay? Nice, good size. And they have these benches in the fuselage, so you sit down on your bench and off it goes. And I remember it's flying back uh, from where we were, and it's really, really bumpy. I'm just, really, it's hot and bumpy. And I'm starting to get sick. And these airplanes don't have windows for you, because it's not about you. Uh, You know, it's for the cargo. But there is this one tiny little window towards the tail section by a door. And I thought to myself, I'm just going to go like crawl over there and stare out this window and try to gain a sense of, uh, you know, myself back. And so I go over there and I I look out the window and I see the desert flying by underneath us. And it feels like we're kind of low. I feel like hmm, that looks low, but in the desert, it's very hard to judge altitude. Over the desert and over the sea, it's very, very difficult to judge altitude because it's flat and it's kind of the scenery is so constant. So it feels low to me, but I, you know, I don't think any, anything of it until I see the shadow of the airplane. Have you ever seen the shadow of your airplane while in flight? The shadow of the airplane is racing across the desert floor with us, and it is as big as the airplane. And I realized we're like 100 feet off the ground. For some reason, the pilots thought it would be safer to sneak out of a rack at 100 feet. And, I mean, the shadow, it was the shadow that told me everything about the airplane. All I need I saw the shadow, and I, I thought, that's what it looks like when you land I like went back to my seat, and all my air sickness was gone because I was now terrified. <laughs> Sat down, like, and obviously we made it home safely, no, no problem there. But, but the shadow tells you something about the object, right? There's the shadow, and then there's the substance from which the shadow is... We can't say the substance is making the shadow, but the substance is casting the shadow. Okay, that thought is really important for today as uh, we begin to wrestle with some of the aspects of the Christian life and With that, we're going to go ahead and turn to the Word here in Colossians 2, where Paul, the apostle who wrote the letter, is going to be turning his attention to the idea of how does a person grow in maturity, okay? So uh, it's not how are you saved, how do you come into faith with Jesus, okay? That has been sort of dealt with, and now is this: how do you grow? How do you continue to grow? What's inst- what is God's intention for you after you're saved? Okay, that's what uh, he's going to be talking about. And we're going to pick up in chapter 2, verse 6. He writes, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So just from that passage, you you should be able to hear This is about how we grow in Christ, walk in Him, be rooted in Him, established in your faithfulness. There's these abounding in thanksgiving. There's this, the long life with Christ is what he's talking about. And then we see the reason for him talking about it It shows up in verse 8. He says this, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elementary spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So you're growing in the Lord. You've come to faith in Christ Jesus, and you're growing in the Lord, and now Paul says, just be careful as you now begin to think about your life, the life going on after Christ, that it doesn't accidentally leave Christ and embrace some other counterfeit hope some other tradition or philosophy or ideology or some ism that you incorporate into your life to drive it. He says, be careful, watch out for that because that's a counterfeit hope. It's not really any hope at all. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, don't live according to those things, live according to Christ. And verses 9 and 10 sort of build on this. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells Bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. How significant is Jesus? The fullness of the deity dwells bodily in him. That's what Paul says. That's a pretty big deal. In other words, he's saying to people who are, you might even think, who've had long had an idea of God long had an idea of how to live religiously but they're now they're coming to faith in Christ, <clears throat> he's saying to them everything uh, God ever was is fully present in Jesus. You don't have to look anywhere else ever again. That's what he's saying. Everything that God is can be found in Christ. And your worldview is not in need of something else, something additional, some uh, you don't need to also have a psychology or also have a certain kind of ideology or also have some kind of sp- philosophy or uh, you don't need also need to have some sort of sidebar spiritualism that you use to do something else. He says, you don't need all of that. All of who God is resides in Jesus. So if, in your, if you are in Christ, you have all of who God is there for you. You don't have to go look somewhere else, you know. You'll hear someone say something like, well, there's a lot of really meaningful truths that I find in Buddhism or something like that, right? Well, if it's true and if it's in Buddhism, you haven't left Jesus. There's all sorts of truths all over the world that matter and are meaningful and I'm not, I don't think anyone would debate that those aren't actually true. All I'm saying is, is those are found in Christ, And you don't have to leave Christ to find them. The fullness of God is in Christ. Now, we're going to continue here. And in 11, what we're going to find is that while Paul has thus far been speaking fairly generally, like watch out for traditions or ways of thinking or other kinds of spirituality that are going to come in and try to steal, steal from the hope that you have in Christ, you don't need to go anywhere else. What we're going to find is he actually has a fairly specific kind of counterfeit in mind, and it surfaces in 11. Let me read 11 through 13. He says, In him also you were circumcised, with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith, in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead and you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses now that's a little bit of a long sequence of words there but you might have heard the word circumcision surface several times Paul's beginning to set to set this idea that everything can be found in christ he's building to say, you don't need to go back to the Jewish way of life. And that's what he's building towards. So the signet of the Jew of being uh, being in the Jewish family was circumcision. And Paul's saying, you don't need that anymore because Christ is our circumcision. Christ is our mark. We belong through Christ. You see, he grabbed that. He grabbed that old idea and he said That old idea is no longer relevant by itself. It's been fulfilled in Jesus. Those of you who were not righteous have been made righteous through Christ, through the baptism into Christ. So there's this differentiation we're starting to see, and it's about to really come out. In fact, look at 14. 14 and 15 sort of really embrace this, right? So, how is it that we're forgiven? Verse 14 says, "...by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross." So in classic, the classic Jewish faith at the time of Paul, or Christ even, there was this system of how you were supposed to live. And it levied certain demands on you, how you were supposed to dress, how you were supposed to work, how you were supposed to eat, who you were supposed to spend time with, how you were supposed to worship. And it had the details of all of the mannerisms prescribed. And Paul is saying, You weren't forgiven because you kept, you were obedient to that. You're forgiven because through Christ, He grabbed that list and nailed it to the cross. You're forgiven because that list no longer has power over you. You are free from the law. This is what he's saying. Now I'm going to pick up in 16, and you're going to see some of this coming out. You're going to hear Paul calling out to them, encouraging them not to fall back into this prescriptive law. Uh, and we'll talk for a second about why they might, might feel drawn to do that. Look at 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, that's the law. Or with regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, that's the law. Now look at 17. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism. By the way, asceticism is like being monkish, okay? Self-denial, radical self-denial. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. He's warning them. He's saying, listen, listen, People are going to come along and they're not going to see what they would like to see coming out of you in the way that it ought, what they think is ought to come out of you and they're going to begin to judge you and pressure you because you're not producing the kind of righteousness that was described by the law and he says you need to remember that law is a shadow and Jesus is the substance and you need to follow Jesus and don't be tempted When people say, Well, how do I really know that you're righteous? Because look look at who you're and this would sound very gospel, look at who you're eating with, or look at look at what you're doing on this day, or look at how you're doing with that. He said, Relax. Relax about this. Those things, he says they're sensual, they're of the senses, those seeable acts of supposed righteousness are in fact not in and of themselves righteous. They're a shadow. And the deeper righteousness is between you and Jesus. Be careful. There are so many passages. When I think of of how Christ talked, there are so many times that he said things that in my own mind I just kind of fly over as lofty language when in fact it was very real. He would say things about himself where he would put himself at the absolute center of your life, he would say something like, you need to remain in me and bear fruit. That's a big statement. Come to me, those of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's a bold statement. This is my body, which is given to you. I mean, those phrases Jesus Christ is, is, there's no room for anything else. There's no room. It is impossible to exaggerate in our own minds how significant, how central Christ yearns or wants to be in our life. But sometimes it's not enough for us. Sometimes we're tempted to fall away. You know, The notion of, being, of living life through Jesus, let me just say this. If it doesn't feel like it's enough for you, I might suggest it's because of your unhealthy appetite. I'll, I'll say it this way. I have uh, several friends who are practicing vegans. It's always fun for me to eat with them um, there's always humor at the table. But I have, I, I, it's not simple for me. I actually have multiple complex feelings when I'm eating with them. First of all, when they open up their, their Tupperware and I see the goo, it does not look good to me. It looks not good. Not good. Okay. Like I'm not drawn to it. Uh, But when I see the way they open up, and like, oh, yes, I have a kale couscous mixture with hominy and whatever is happening over there, right? At one level, I don't want it. And at another level, I recognize that they're eating something that's really good for them. I I wished I wanted it. Because I'm not just an omnivore. It's not that I eat everything. I eat everything of every category. So I eat Twinkies and Pop-Tarts and like a lot of things... I eat food produced in factories where smoke comes out of the stack. I mean, that's really a perverse thought if you think about it. It's, I mean, I eat manufactured material, okay, on a regular basis. And I look over and everything they're eating kind of came out of the earth and is going to return to the earth and I hear the circle of life being sung and, and so like at one level, I don't want it. At one level, I don't want it, but I know it's good for me. That's the deal, I don't have an appetite for the health. If God's not enough for you, it's because of your appetite. It's because you are living in a manufactured life of unhealth. You, you're this spiritual omnivore that's collecting from all over the place things you ought not to be consuming. That's why he's not enough for you. It's your appetite. I mean, Paul in this letter It's just done. This is chapter 1, verse 15. Like, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. By him, everything has been made. It is impossible to exaggerate what Christ wants to do in you, and you don't need to go anywhere else. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying to people who are getting tempted and called back to behavioralism, say, Don't do it, that's not righteous it's a shadow stay with christ okay 20 and 23 let me just read 20 through 23 you're going to hear this this again okay so this should resonate as something that's already been said and just bringing greater clarity if with christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to the regulations do not handle do not taste do not touch referring to the things that all perish as they're used according to human precepts and teachings. Now listen to this. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. Did you hear that? The shadow has shadow obedience has no value in actually making you holy. It will appear to those around you that you're you are some sort of religious person when you do these things that others can see and commend. Why? Are they they're here every Sunday Why? Look at that large check that they just donated to that organization. Why did you hear their name is is on that wing of the building? Or whatever it is, however your visible religiosity overflows in your life, God is saying it does not count to the degree that it's anything different from what's happening on the inside. And on the inside, the law can't go. Only the Spirit goes. Only Christ is in here. Paul is saying, your relationship with God is figured out like inside of your skin, in the place we call the soul. That's where it needs to be ironed out and hammered out and worked out. And rather than chasing a behavioral pattern, you're free from the law. You're free from the Sabbaths. You know, so Monday, kids had out from school. Why? Because Yom Kippur is a, a special Sabbath. Today, they must not work. You're free from that. You're free from having to care about what you eat from a religious perspective or having to care about what you wear or having to care about what you're allowed to do on a certain day. You're free from that shadow. Shadow. What about the rest of the laws of Moses? Ten Commandments, are you free from those? Let's see. Verse one of the third chapter, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So this is sort of an introductory phrase where Paul's taking us to say, here's now how you mature in the Lord. He's, he's taking us into how we're going to mature in the Lord. And he's saying, he's saying, it's not at this level of earth. It's not the visible earth. It's hidden with Christ in God. It's heavenly. It's spiritual. And then I'm going to read the next several verses. And you're going to say to me, hey, this sounds like the law. I thought this was shadow. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have now put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. I thought we were free from the law actually this is a lot different this is different than the law right the law is the law was really concerned about the things you could see here god seems concerned about the things that a person cannot see the law would have said i can't murder this tells me to put away my lust see the difference or, excuse me my anger and my malice like we can we can quantify murder. We can track down the murderer and we can apply the forensic test and say, this person murdered. We can measure it and find it and determine it in the visible world. We can do that. But we, man, you can hide malice and wrath and anger, can't you? You can hide that. Theft. Someone steals something. Well, you can see that. You can apprehend that and you can you can... Describe it and convict it in court. I mean, it's a real thing that's happening in real life. He's saying that's not, that is a shadow. The substance is your covetousness. The substance is your your desires for things. And that's happening way behind where people can, nobody can see where that's happening. That's happening deep inside where only God can go. Do you see how this new list, this new list is different than the old list? Adultery. We can find you out with adultery. We could put a camera or or track you down or those sorts of things. But lust, um, it's really hard to see that coming out of a person. Life in Christ is chasing things to the source. The shadow, living in the shadow land is where Things are, they're, they're starting to manifest long after they had life, right? Christ is chasing things to the source. And because, because of his love for us, we can actually invite this in, right? We're not, we're not validated by what we do before the Lord. We're justified by his love for us and what he's done for us. So we can have Christ come into our heart and then without fear and anguish allow him to begin to root around and call things out at their source, That's what he's talking about here. This is the inward Christian life, putting to death the flesh so that Christ can reign. Now, I have one more reading to do, but before I do the reading, what I want us to note is that the tenor of this, this text I just read, verse 3 verse 5 through 10, this life in Christ, do you hear how how secretive the work is, and i don 't mean as though secret like you have a secret, but secretive as though it 's God working deep inside of you, where no one else really can know. no one else really can know where god 's encountering you over the years, over the long haul, over your life he 's starting to put his finger on things and saying, "I want to work on this now, and I want to call this out, and he 's slowly inside of you tilling up the earth and calling things out, but Really, in a lot of these things, others may not be any wiser as to how you are or are not growing. Do you you hear the tenor in this text about this? It's put away your anger and your your malice and your wrath and your slander. Be careful of your evil desires. I mean, these things are, are sort of the quiet version of you. It's private. It's not telling me to put your anger away. It's telling you to put your anger away. And it's not telling you to put my evil desires away. It's telling me, me, to confront Christ about my desires. Okay, you hear that? It's a really important we feel this and hear this because of what's about to happen next. Because all along the way, right, every one of us in this, in this life, you and me, everyone who's trying to live a life in Christ is living this, this life of putting things to death so that Christ can reign. And it's it will happen until the day we die, and it's hard work. It's happening, and it's happening quietly to everybody in their seats right now. I mean, it's happening in our life. We're going to leave, and throughout this week, God's going to confront us in that difficult work of growing in Him quietly, okay? While that's happening, this is what I want us to hear, verse 12. Okay, while all that's happening, put on them as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful Let the word of Christ dwell with you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God through our Father, through him. So I want you to hear the difference. This Quiet life we're living of putting things to death is happening in each of one. You know, There's things that you won't tell me and there's things that I won't tell you that are dialogues with the Lord that are happening in quiet. While that's happening, there's something that's happening in public. It's the putting on. Do you see that whole list of, uh, that I just read is actually a social list. It's not a private list. It's a social list. How do I show compassion unless I have someone to whom I can show it? If you're on a desert island, how do you know whether you're compassionate, kind, and humble? You're by yourself. It's not until the boat shows up to pick you up and they say, how did you live for four years with nothing but a stick and salt water? That's when your humility comes out is when they show up. All of this list that I heard, compassionate, kind, humble, meek, patient, bearing with one another, forgiving, full of love towards unity, all of those things are part of a social reality. In other words, this is what the instruction from God is. is listen. While all of us are working out our flesh, while we're putting our flesh to death and navigating it and seeking to have life come alive in us, while we're all doing that, treat one another like we're all doing that. Be patient with somebody. Don't expect for them to have arrived on a subject That you've arrived on because you don't know where they started and you don't know where they're going. And you don't even know if that's what God's dealing with in them right now. Can you imagine if God dealt with all of your trash in the same day? Give up. This is, Lord, can you schedule it out over my however many years I'm going to live? Just schedule it out so gently it can come to me. That's what He's doing. And while he's doing that, I'm supposed to show kindness and compassion to you and you're supposed to show forgiveness and love to them and you're supposed to admonish her and you're supposed to teach him. And you know, admonishment's not judgment. Admonishment is like encouraging someone towards the truth. Come on, man, you know this is true. Right? That, the fellowship is creating an environment where that can happen. I'm gonna call that the whole truth. So, where do we, where do we get it wrong? Where are the dangerous halves of it? So I'm gonna chop this up, and, and here's two dangerous halves, okay? A half that has it's onto something, but it's not onto the whole thing, and as a result, it's doing harm. The first one I'm gonna the first one I'm gonna call the judge. It would be somebody who has genuinely learned something in the Lord through God's patient way with them inside of them, and after learning it, lords it over everyone else like they ought to have it figured out. Like, I've figured out the Sabbath, now you'd better figure out the Sabbath. You see, they benefited from the quiet work of the Holy Spirit in them, but they are are withholding that Kind, quiet Holy Spirit with everyone else or with someone else. They're the judge. They're determining what now that I have my answer in Christ, it is now the answer for the group. And they're frustrated as to why are you not as good as me in this area? Can't you see it? It's in the Word. <laughs> There's so many things in the Word that we can't see. But there's that impatience that comes from the judge, which is, like, in the joy of Christ, here's the good news, here's the half-truth. They were shown it in the Word, and God worked it out in them, and they've arrived at a good place, and there's life in it, but they're failing to apply the same patience to others. The judge... They judge things that they see as, well, in other words, a judge typically begins to judge the shadow and not the substance. People with a judgmental spirit, they're concerned about what they see from you. What they see you doing. And we have to be careful because that can, that can force people right back to the shadow again. A life lived to be seen versus a life lived to be true. The net effect of a church that has judges in it that reign is that the church ends up chasing shadows. Everybody ends up behaving in a certain way so that they look and appear righteous enough to pass the standard of the judge, and as a result, they've lost connection with the head, Christ. A church that does this, a church that allows judges to reign, the net effect is a church that is hostile to the new convert or to the God-seeking person who's not yet in because when they come in, there's already in the air, why are you not like us? That's what happens in a church like this. And by the way, uh, the judge tends to be it tends to foster in them impatience and unkindness. In fact, I'm going to read the list. The list that we read in chapter 2 verse 12. I want to read the list uh, and the judge becoming judgmental tends to bring out the opposite virtue, okay? So, put on then as God's chosen, holy and beloved, judges tend to be not compassionate. They tend to be unkind. They tend to be proud instead of humble. They tend to away away from meekness. They tend to be impatient. They tend to be unforgiving because you are not adding up. And all of that can come from something that God generally minds inside of you. He can do a good work. You could have started and never have gone to church and never had any point, right? And then someone said, really, like, uh, you start to gain a sense that really maybe I should be at church on Sunday. So you go monthly, right? Which is way more than you used to go. But you're not going to Sunday school, it's like 45 minutes, or in our case, an hour and 10 minutes, or 15, right? That's enough for me, right? Well, a few years go down the road, and next thing you know, you're, you're in Sunday school. And so now you're going Sunday, and you're going for three hours, and then you're, now you're going to a Wednesday night, and you're part of a small group. And it all happens so kind and peaceful for you. Nobody showed up and said, when are you going to be there? But now that you've figured it all out, you want to know why they don't do it. Put on compassion and kindness and meekness and humility and love. Admonish them in love. Walk alongside of them. That's the one half. The other dangerous half is what I'm going to call the private citizen. This person... Understands very well that the work, the main work that God's going to do in their life, is inside of them. It's inside their skin, and it's quiet, and it's with the Holy Spirit. And they understand that the inward walk is the walk that matters, and they've got that nailed so much so that they don't know, they don't embrace their role with one another to engage you for your good. Like, they're a private Christian. Can't can't you just work out your stuff and I'll work out my stuff? The problem is, it's hard. It's hard enough that it requires compassion and patience and kindness and meekness and humility and forgiveness. It requires that if someone else is going to do it. It's hard enough that if you're going to try to do it alone, it's actually quite discouraging. It needs to be brought into a place of love and affirmation that someone can say you're accepted here while you work it out. But a person who's a private citizen never actually figures out how to put on Christ in this way. Put it on as God's chosen and holy ones in a way that takes what's happening inside of them and uses it for the benefit of everyone else. And the net effect of this is a church that's unable to mature because we're all privately stuck in our secrets, slowly, quietly working them about. And the net effect of this is a church that has a, a quiet back door that's always opening and people are always leaving because the church is not caring for them. God has called us from the shadow of things to the substance, and the substance is Christ. And you don't need to go anywhere else. You don't need to go beyond that. You certainly ought not to be bored with it. If you are, it's a subject of appetite. But everything we need is in Christ. And that's calling us away from the law, away from the rules, away from the the, the things you can see to the deeper things that are happening inside of us. And that's done between us and God and it's done in a group. That's loving and patient. That's the whole truth. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that this would be true here, as we have each week, Lord. We recognize that even both of these halves are resident inside of us; these dangerous halves, and we ask for your help that this fellowship of believers would exhibit the whole truth in all its forms, Lord. And we recognize that we, as individuals here, are too small to exhibit the grandness of your kingdom and what you're doing. That the body of Christ is your best representation. And so, Lord, as we gather now to worship, to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, as we unite ourselves in prayer, we pray that you would uh, work out your whole truth in us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.